Your hosts of the Shock Therapy Podcast, Tyler Lawrence and Zach Alfers. Wide receivers, man. Are you excited for day- today's episode? I mean, as a bi, you know, I'm biased because I played receiver all all the way growing up. So receiver is my favorite position to scout, to watch in general. Um, so yeah, I'm so stoked for this receiver episode. Um, and I really like, you know, before this even last week you texted me um and we kind of had like our own little shock therapy draft of uh you a know you gave me a, yeah you, you said uh who do you want and i i just you know went straight for my number one pick and you went for your number one pick um it's fun i think we have a, a good episode uh lined up for everyone well we'll get to do a uh a draft every single week uh I know. and we'll break those players down that'll be fun i i do like that kind of like picking which players we're going to uh scout because uh, you know, scouting 10 guys each uh, can take a little bit of time. So it's kind of nice to be able to break it up. You take five, I take five. And uh, let's talk about your five. Who are your five that you're going to be talking about in in this episode? Oh, just a, a overall. Okay, well, um, I'm going to be looking at Traylon Burks from Arkansas. I really like Jahan Dotson from Penn State. Um, then Sky Moore, Western Michigan. Uh, I'm going to talk about Kyle Phillips from UCLA and then Jalen Tolbert from South Alabama. Those are my five. For my five, I'm going to be covering Drake London, USC, Jameson Williams, uh, wide receiver out of Alabama, uh, Wandale Robinson, Kentucky. Awesome name, by the way, Wandale (laughs) Robinson. Uh, Purdue's wide receiver, David Bell, and uh, Ole Miss wide receiver, Dontario Drummond. So, should be a, a, a fun episode. I, I kind of wish we would have covered the Ohio State brothers at top, but in all honesty, I don't. I don't think wide receivers a huge need, and I'd be very surprised if we went and grabbed one in the first round. You agree? With I that? would be too. Yeah, um, definitely at seventeen. I think there's a lot. You know, there's a lot of talk right now about the Chargers trading back to possibly get a multiple first round picks. So I, I could see maybe you know a late twenty. Um, pick for a receiver but yeah it's not an urgent need especially if we bring mike williams back which i know me and you are both on board with i i just don't see yeah i just don't see the need there especially with other glaring holes specifically right tackle cornerback edge fill them in however you want but those are three needs uh for the chargers i think all before you even think about getting greedy with another receiver so before we jump into these these draft hopefuls here if we go into next season with our four wide receivers being Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Josh Palmer, and Jalen Guyton as your four top guys with, 
you know, you could pick KJ Hill or, or any of the other guys that we have as our number five. Uh, Andre Roberts fits in that scenario as well. Are you okay if we just don't go wide receiver at all, assuming we resign Mike Williams? Am I okay with that core? I'm okay with that core. Uh, absolutely. I think there's definitely a lot of potential there with the three and four with Jalen Guyton and Josh Palmer. Um, and then I think you have superstar potential to wide receiver ones with very diverse skill sets in Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. I'm okay with that core, but I really believe if we want to be the Super Bowl team that we want, if we have, the, if we want to live up to the Super Bowl aspirations that we have set for ourselves, I think a, a legit, wide receiver two, wide receiver three, just to put this this core over the top as a unit. I think we have individual pieces. I like our depth. I think we are one, you know, a 1B, a wide receiver, a legit wide receiver two uh, from being a, a complete core. So I, I don't think it's as drastic a need as a lot of people have made it out to be to seem. But I, I really like the the floor we have in-house. I, could, I, I do think we need a legit third... A number three guy that's always on the field with Mike Williams and Keenan Allen that people just defenses have to pay attention to, right? Those two guys demand attention. I would like another third guy that demands some attention right now, Josh Palmer and Jalen Guyton. I think they will get there. They're just not the guys that, you know, instill fear to opposing defenses. And I get that, right? I totally get that idea behind it. But when I'm looking at at who you want as your number three and the fact that we did draft somebody in the third around the fact that we do have somebody who was a, a starter uh, two seasons ago and yeah. uh, Jalen Guyton. Like, I, I feel comfortable with our three and our four. And then our five is rarely going to see the field anyways. But if you look at the what we have as a five, you've got Michael Bandy, you've got Maurice French, you've got Joe Reed, you've got KJ Hill, you've got Jason Moore, you've got these guys that we've kind of been grooming there for a while. I almost feel like signing... A, a third or fourth wide receiver three stunts the growth of, you know, some of the depth that you have there. Like I want to play um, uh, Palmer, Josh Palmer. I, I want mm-hmm. to play him. I want him to develop because there's a good chance in two, three seasons, uh, we're going to have a, a, a decision to make about Keenan Allen. I know we all as fans love Keenan Allen, but I mean, he's going to be 30 and, and you know, that's, Let's just be realistic. Like at some point, he's going to start degrading, right? He's going to stop playing at the high level he has played for us for a long time. Or we could end up having an injury, right? Like at some point, you need to develop the the talent you have on your roster. And I feel like going to go get, uh, you know, a, a free agent or drafting a wide receiver high um, kind of stunts the growth of some of the talent you already have on the field. I could see that. I, I really think the, and I, I that happened to bring in another tall possession slot receiver. We really need some influx of some speed and a guy with legit yard after the catch ability. If, and that's the only way that you can bring a guy in and make this receiver core better. Anything else, like you said, takes away from what we are already have and it stunts our future growth at the position. I'm huge on Josh Palmer. I think a lot of Charger fans are. And I think Jalen Guyton is really kind of just lost in the shuffle. I think he's a good receiver. Had some issues with the drops, but I think we're going to get ironed out here as he, you know, matures as a player. 
I don't think we need to go out and spend top dollar or even the first, you know, pick in the first three rounds on a receiver. I think we're all right. Um, I could see getting some more speed and a guy with some yard after the catch ability. That's really the only room for improvement I see in the room. And then when I also look at it too, like Josh Palmer, like if Mike Williams went down for the season, do you think Josh Palmer can hit a thousand yards? It, with 150, tar- what did he get? 120 targets last year? Um, Something like I could that? See, yeah, it was like 120, I, I want to say 120, 29 targets. He caught about 80 catches. Um, and I think, I think that, he got 129 targets, the, yeah, the most I think in his career. Josh Palmer can totally hit 1,000 yards as a wide receiver too. As a wide receiver three, especially if we continue to, to put the ball in Herbert's hands as much, we could potentially have three 1,000-yard receivers between the, those three guys, assuming that your wide receiver four doesn't get as many targets, assuming that Donald Parham, his targets increase, but not to the level of Jared Cooks. Like we could totally have Josh Palmer step in to be that wide receiver three and be a really, really good, reliable wide receiver three with, you know, double the targets that he had last season. That, that's true. I really think though, where we get lost though, is you forgot about who our actual third passing option and in this offense. And it's Austin Eckler. Like yeah. he needs to get the ball thrown to him a lot. It's, you know, easy completions and he's elite and dynamic with the ball in his hand. So there's a lot of mouths right now to feed. I don't realistically how, see how you can insert another thousand yard type guy, you know, an Odell Beckham or like any of these guys that demand targets uh, and expect everyone else to, you know, continue to produce um, and then be okay with it. Yeah. That I just don't see the need. You bring up a good point there talking about, um, you know, mouse to feed. Like if you went and signed, let's just say like we went and signed like Devonte Adams, kept Mike Williams, and we had this crazy trio. How many targets are going to be available for someone's going to be top? Upset. Yeah. You got to have like a top three target, like, you know, three guys who are going to be involved in your offense pretty significantly. And right now we already know who that is. It's Mike Williams, it's Keenan Allen, it's Austin Eckler. And then behind him, them is somewhat of a shuffle between your tight end one and your wide receiver three, right? Like there's a shuffle there. And how many of those guys are actually going to get enough targets to be like, you know, it's what is it? The, the law of diminishing returns, right? Like it's, you know, at some point you, you, it becomes over. Help me out here. It becomes like the law of diminishing returns, right? Is like you add a, another unit of input and you don't get a, a, the same amount of output. It, eventually, your like marginal cost starts to like decrease. And I'm no, I'm getting about, economics here. Here, right? We're top. We're, we're talking about the ceiling of this receiving core, and we're almost to the that peak. You can only yeah. get so much by adding other pieces. Eventually, the production you get from another piece doesn't amount to anything. You're actually losing production. So that that's where we're getting to a point where... And then we have to also factor in egos here. These guys want to play. You're going to take a guy and not give him the targets he deserves or the contract that you know the numbers say that he should be getting. People are going to have some problems with it. And it's something that the Chargers have never had to really deal with, maybe outside of you know, Melvin Gordon wanting to get paid, but it's, it's, it's a something I don't really want to bring into the room um, when we don't need it. You know, I think we're all right. 
So looking at our skill position groups, um, specifically at wide receiver, I don't think that there is room for another wide receiver. I think there is room for another developmental prospect and your three and four should be Palmer. It should be gotten because they're young, talented players who are just getting better. Right. And they're going to take the next step in, in the role in this offense. And you don't want to impede that, that development and adding another veteran wide receiver uh, unless you have some sort of injury, right? It doesn't make sense. It just doesn't yeah, make sense. I, I'm on the same page. So let's talk about the draft. Uh, talk about some players we're not going to draft <laughs> based <laughs> off of that conversation. And let's talk about Traylon Burks. He is the he is an animal. He's a beast. And I'm so excited to hear what you have to say about him. This dude, I mean... It, the first thing you, you notice when is on his tape is he is just so, so explosive. It's the it's a word I will just say maybe probably eight more times while I finish this rant. Because he just has such surprising quickness for a dude, you know, 6'3", 225 pounds. Defenders never give him enough credit for how fast he is. Because he could just take off. His linear speed is pretty impressive. And people just sleep on his short area quickness as well. So what Burks does... He does such a good job after he gets the ball in his hands of almost simultaneously getting upfield. And what makes him so enticing to me is that once he does make that plant and decides to get upfield and get some yards, he chews up 10 to 15 yards almost instantly. He really gets into defenders' laps like a lot quicker than people really anticipate. And what happens is the defenders take awful angles in pursuit of him, and it leads to Burks breaking multiple arm tackles along the perimeter with his speed and his explosiveness. He proceeds to house those balls more often than he gets tackled. And it really only takes him a step sometimes too, for Burks to get his defender, you know, just leaning the wrong way because with his frame, he's just way, way too strong to take down with an arm tackle. You really need to bring your full body when tackling Burks. He's just a yard after catch machine waiting to be unleashed. Um, And I think it's one thing to have the build of a big body receiver. I think it's a completely different thing to have the skill set and use that to generate advantages for yourself. And I think Burks does a great job of this, his understanding of how to use his body, where to position himself, and just how to box out defenders. It makes him elite in contested catch situations and especially on the end breaking route. So that that's where he made his you know, all of his money, his best highlights come on quick hitting slant routes, which were really just the staple of the Arkansas offense. The Arkansas offense was just so trash to watch. And then you see Burks, then you're like, okay, this is, he was literally their whole entire team on offense. Um, And he just has a natural feel. He can out jump guys. He can definitely, you know, win those 50, 50 balls. Um, And he does that by positioning his body in the right way. He just has a knack for using that to his advantage. He played almost entirely in the slot at Arkansas. They did move him around into the backfield because he's just explosive. He's someone you need to get the ball into his hands. And I really see him being the gadget player that we always wanted Joe Reed to be, the guy that we kind of envisioned uh, Travis Benjamin to be when we signed him, a guy who could take some jet sweeps, some bubble screens, someone you want in open space. You just want to give him a chance to use his size and force DBs to make tough tackles on the perimeter. He's a very situational he's very smart in his awareness. So I I think he's somebody who will be really good when plays break down. Um, He had multiple highlights in college where he was able to keep plays alive with his, just his smarts. 
And that's exciting, you know, as a Charger fan, because it means no more Jared Cook just waiting on the sideline as Herbert makes a magical escape under pressure. Uh, with Burks, those busted plays have a chance to turn into six points. It, so just a really big prospect, yard after catch machine, and he has giant hands, 10 and a quarter inch hands. Jesus. They had to custom make his uh, receiver gloves because Nike doesn't make them naturally that big, um, which led to a really low drop rate. He can make tough catches look easy, and because of that, he also made some really impossible-looking catches. He's a really, really exciting prospect. Jeez, those are huge hands. Giant dinner plates. Dude, you know what they say about guys with big hands, right? Uh, custom gloves. Custom gloves and big shoes. <laughs> Dude, those are those are huge. He is actually my wide receiver one. I, I got to watch a little bit of film on him just because I, I wanted to watch the best, right? And uh, – I, I haven't had a chance to break down the the Ohio brother Ohio State brothers uh, that are kind of at the top of everybody's list, but mm-hmm. he is definitely one of my most exciting prospects uh, that I've seen, and I would be very surprised if he fell out of the first top fifteen picks. Like he is an animal. Did you see his Alabama game? He's did not. Uh, I've definitely seen. It's it, I've seen all of the games the last two years. Um, oh but- Jesus. So, like, the Alabama game, like, he was playing injured. Like, he had hurt his shoulder or something like that. He goes off for, like, eight receptions for 179 yards against Alabama. Like, that is so hard to do in any football game anywhere. But when you've got the offense that Arkansas has and you have Alabama, like, you're, you're, you're putting up 179 yards receiving against Bama with, with no quarterback? Like... And it seemed like his best games were Bama, uh, LSU, Georgia. He shows up against top-level talent. Um, it, it's something about, you know, speedy DBs. It, I swear the more athletic DBs that he get in front of him, the better he plays because it's like what I was saying. They think they have enough athletic ability to cut him off, and they don't. They just don't. He's just so quick, and he gets in people's faces so fast. Uh, he, he's really, really fun to watch. You blink, yeah. and... He's on the other side of your screen. You missed him. He's so good. And and for Bama to like, they they moved their defense around to cover him, double team him, and it didn't matter. He was he's just an animal. Uh, he's just one of those exciting, uh, rare prospects that you just don't typically see come that often. In my opinion, I I don't know how he's not wide receiver one on everybody's draft board. But then again, I haven't seen the Ohio State guys. Well, he's very. I think his his biggest knock is because. They had him run no type of routes. It, it's it's slants and verticals. That's all he was really asked to run. And then he specifically played through the slot, and he has a really hard time against press man coverage. That's where he kind of struggles. But I really think it's a lot more that the Arkansas offense was lacking talent around him than it was him the player I just didn't think they asked him to do anything outside of that because they were limited in quarterback tight ends everyone else around him I think he could do it he just wasn't asked to to do a whole lot because the Arkansas offense like I mentioned was just not good if you get a chance to go and pull up a highlight film Traylon Burks uh go go and do it it's it's a lot of fun Uh, I'm gonna break down Drake London um Drake London 6'5 200, 205 pounds from USC. Uh, just kind of like how US um, Arkansas used Traylon Burks as their like go-to main weapon. That was Drake London. And 
So Drake London was a, he was a two sport athlete. Um, he played at on USC's football team, but he also played a single season on USC's basketball team as a guard. Uh, he didn't get very much playing time. I, I think he played in like two games and had no points, but it, it kind of just shows to his like play style, right. As a, you know, that, that basketball player who was playing football. Um, first thing you got to talk about with Drake is his size, six, five, 200 pounds being that tall and that light actually kind of work against each other on the football field. So there's not very many players who are that tall and that light who have had that much success. Uh, if you want to take a look at a couple of guys that are, you know, that, that height and that weight and, and try to get an idea of kind of how he, he's going to play um, Marquez Valdez, Scantling and Kasim Osgood and Justin Hunter are the three names that I came up with uh, just doing a, a filter on those guys's combines based off of um, lack of speed, height, and weight. And he just doesn't play like any of those guys. So Marquez Valdez-Scantling is like a – and Justin Hunter were both like 4'3", 40-speed guys. Like they were super, super fast. Kasim Osgood, he wasn't quite as fast, has the same height and weight, uh, but he played a little more physical uh, than what Drake London played. Um, so – He's kind of like an anomaly, and the reason why I'm bringing this up, right, is London does not have good long speed. He he really isn't built for that type of uh, that type of offense. Uh, he's nimble, like to be six five and be nimble and play almost purely out of the slot majority of the time. Like you don't typically see uh, anybody other than tight ends kind of that height playing out of the slot. Like it's just not typical of what you see with him. Um, he's got an outstanding catch radius. I mean, it's, he's long and he does lengthy and he's going to be able to, to really extend that catch radius and it helps him in 50, 50 opportunities. Cause he can just outmatch guys. Uh, he's got some run after the catch ability for a guy who's six, five, which you don't typically see. Like I said, he's more nimble. He's more kind of a little, little shifty. Uh, he doesn't have this track to be the, the speed to be a track star. Uh, but he can turn a screen into a 15-yard gain and turning nothing into something at least. Uh, he's got enough agility in his cuts and finds some some running room, which goes towards his awareness as a ball carrier. Uh, also, his football IQ based off of when the play breaks down and him being a resource to his quarterback, just finding the holes in the zone and and how to to get open when he needs to get open, when he needs to give his quarterback a, a, a dump-off option. He has an understanding of how to get open, find the space in the zone, and, and be that safety option. Um, he ran most of his routes underneath zone coverage, uh, but like I said, he, he really understands the zone aspect of what defenses are, are doing, and he just he'll sit in the middle of you know two zones and and just be that safety option for you. I, I think the downside to to London is his ability to get open downfield. Um, like I said, he doesn't really have a whole lot of the speed. He's an he's a, a decent route runner for a guy that's his size, but he's not super super agile. He's just kind of agile enough, and he's not going to be able to get open downfield, which is why he had to make so many contested catches. But he made a lot of contested catches. Is the other part about that? So while he's not getting open, he's still being productive because he's got this big lengthy frame and he can body defenders and, and really make himself available uh, even when he is covered. Uh, the last part that I kind of want to talk about is London fractured his ankle, um, his right leg, finished the year with 88 catches, um, just shy of 1,100 yards, 
uh, seven touchdowns in just eight games. And since November to March, he's kind of just been rehabbing. So next week is the NFL Combine. I'm not necessarily sure if he's going to be available uh, four months after he broke his ankle. I'm probably banking on on this no side of things. Uh, if he does, I, I'm not expecting him to test well. He's probably not even going to do it, knowing that he's already such a high draft pick, kind of expected to go toward the end of round one, more likely in round two. But with that injury, I think it happened kind of at a good time because I think that he's going to be available for the start of the season. Uh, he really only has one like really, really productive season, which was last season. Uh, he was available and he made his own share of plays as a uh, sophomore and as a freshman. But overall, um, he he wasn't utilized at quite as much as he was last season. So I would be comfortable picking him up uh, kind of if he falls like into the third round type of situation, because I don't think that we need a wide receiver, but I do see some upside there. And I don't think we need a six, five slot wide receiver. When we have Keenan Allen there, I think it just kind of makes things a little redundant, but if you're able to find a player like this kind of in the, the later than you'd expect to find him, I'd be okay because he is super talented. He does have some drop issues, which is kind of a, a negative for Drake London. Um, he, these concentration jobs drops that he shouldn't be dropping that, but then he goes and he'll make some crazy acrobatic, you know, contested catch at the same time. So you take the good with the bad. Yeah. London's a, it, it's so we were talking about it before we, you know, last week about how you were saying that you weren't super high on this draft class. And I was, I really like this draft class. No. And I kind of think, you know, there isn't any polarizing Jamar chase talent, but I just think the depth, um the 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 people the gems that got teams are going to sign in like the second to third round i think are going to be all pros for five ten years i i really see that in these guys and one guy i I was diving in like i was definitely feeling like that there's a a definite strength to rounds two three and potentially four there's a there's a depth there uh there is a lack of like top end talent in my opinion there's just no like eye opening. Oh, that guy's amazing compared to the rest of the group. I think everyone's really, really good. Uh, well, and that's just kind of my look at it. Um, the next receiver I really like is John Dotson from Penn State. The guy is a, a route runner technician, and he does all the little things just the right way. Uh, he does a great job of working the leverage of the DB, and he manipulates the guy exactly where he wants him to be and at the top of his stem he has very nasty head fakes and then on top of it a decisive cut and can explode out of his breaks being able to have all of that is really elite and it means all of his tools are going to translate extremely well at the next level where a lot of you know the better players try to eye in you know on one part of your game as a versatile route runner like Dotson DBs are going to have a lot harder time trying to pinpoint something like that because he has multiple tools he can rely on. I kind of like think about it as when edge rushers have counters to good blocking, Dotson has multiple tools as a route runner that he utilizes to create separation. Um, He's really good job of changing gears. You know, he's not always pedal to the metal. It's another tool he can use to, to his advantage really when he's running his vertical routes. Think about just how running straight, how are you going to get open running straight? It's kind of, you don't think about it, but it's it's there's a knack to it. Um, so when you if you pair a guy like Dodson, a, a 
true, legit deep threat on the opposite side of a guy like Mike Williams, who, you know, two really physical receivers, that's going to open so much up for this offense because you got those two guys on the perimeter. Their defenses are going to be forced to pay a lot of attention there. You can't really guard those guys one-on-one all the time with their physical play style. It's going to create a lot of soft zones underneath for guys like Keenan and Austin Eckler to operate. Um, but Dotson, man, reliable cast pass catcher, very strong hands, only had two drops last season. And for a guy who hauled in 91 receptions, I couldn't get his target share. That's still a really impressive number. Um, and that should excite Charger fans after we led the league and drop passes. Um, Dotson, I, I, I was saying he's a really good vertical route runner. He also tracks the ball very well. Um, and I'll give them credit for it because I just like the phrasing. Um, but Damian Parson from the Draft Network talks about Dotson, and he says, Dotson is fearless with the ball in flight. He attacks with arrogance and confidence at the highest point. And that's really, it, it's funny. I just like Attacking the wording there. Attacking with arrogance. That's arrogance a, and confidence. <laughs> that's an interesting you, way to describe that. Arrogance <laughs> and confidence. I like it, though, but that's because that's exactly how he jumps or he attacks jump balls. And I am saying that he goes up with this only child mentality, this feeling that this is my ball and I'm not sharing with anybody. <laughs> like he's not a he's a bully on the playground. That's how he goes up to get those balls. Uh, he has very, very strong hands on top of it. He's a talented leaper and he's a competitor. He doesn't want to let those balls drop to the turf. He takes it personally when he can't get a hold of them. And last year, out of the 12 contested catch situations he was in, he hauled in five receptions. That's a legit efficiency. I, I, we call them 50-50 balls, but in reality, the defenders have much better advantage in those situations. There's a lot more chances of a pass to be incomplete than there it is for it to be completed. So if we were going to change it to a more appropriate name, it really should be like 70-30 ball or like an 80-20 ball in favor of the defender. So the fact that he had a 41.6% catch rate in those contested catch situations, that that's really remarkable. Uh, gifted athlete, he was a three-sport letterman in Pennsylvania, playing basketball, he ran track, was all uh, played football. Um, Obviously a great football player, but he averaged 16 points as a basketball player and won state championships in the long jump, 4 by 10 relay, and won conference championships in the 100 and 200-meter dash. Really good athlete. It's also worth mentioning he's a very solid punt returner. He set the Penn State single-season record for punt return average in 2020 with 24.6 yards per return. I really like bringing back Andre Roberts if we can who at one point was prolific in both areas, but I think he's kind of fell off as a punt returner the last couple of years. So I really like Dotson in that mid second, that, you know, second round. If, you know, a a guy who could come in and fill multiple roles for the bolts, if we decided to go that route. Speaking of athletes, I want to talk about Jameson Williams from Alabama, 6'2", 190 pounds. This guy is an athlete. Uh, So he started his career at Ohio State before he transferred last season to the Crimson Tide. Uh, he did not get many opportunities at Ohio State as a junior or as a sophomore. He sat behind K.J. Hill, Chris Olav, and Garrett Wilson. Going into his junior year, he saw all this wide receiver talent at Alabama just leave. You know, if you look over the last two seasons, they've had four first-round draft picks at wide receiver. And last season, when they let go of Devontae Smith and – uh, Jalen Waddle, there there was kind of a hole there for them. And they had a lot of inexperience at wide receiver, and he saw this as, as an opportunity, knowing that he was still going to sit behind uh, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. He can turn immediately turn into wide receiver one at a lot of different schools. 
schools, and Alabama still had a pretty decent quarterback in Bryce. Um, and it worked out in his favor. It, it really worked out really well for him. Uh, instead of running third in the pecking order at Ohio State, uh, he led Alabama with 1,500 yards receiving and 15 touchdowns. That is elite production um, to go with, you know, being in the, the National College Football Playoff. First thing you notice, Washington Jameson, super, super explosive and super, super agile in open space. He's got, like, legit track speed, and he's got great size to go with it, like 6'2", running a mid 4'3", uh, to maybe 4'4", speed guy. Like, he's, that's ridiculous. Uh, he checks all the boxes there is with running. Acceleration, long speed, quickness, stop on a dime. He's really, really good athlete in that regard. Uh, that really translates to his route running as well. Uh, he's twitchy. He makes DBs chase from a distance pretty often. He runs those short routes underneath like really, really well. He can work the intermediate part of the field, and he can take the top off the defense. So he really checks all the boxes to really be a complete wide receiver. Runs very, very crisp routes, uh, and he's very, very good with ball in space. Uh, he, he's probably going to get a lot of bubble screen opportunities at the next level. Um, he's explosive enough to take a slant to the to the house, find a seam, and just go. Uh, he's got enough muscle on his frame to run through arm tackles. Probably not going to run through anybody, but he will run past you. He'll run through arm tackles. Uh, and he actually has a pretty good habit to like pinball off the, off defenders and, and keep his footing. Super strong hands. I wasn't able to see many drops in, in the three games that I watched. Uh, he also, uh, he made some hard contested catches. He, he's, he's a complete wide receiver. Um, he's definitely a competitor in that regard. He's lengthy enough to give himself a larger catch radius. Uh, he's also got a little bit of experience as a kick returner. Um, the only thing that makes me wonder about, about this kid, um, he transferred to Alabama because he wasn't able to beat out Chris Olav and Garrett Wilson, who are at the top of the, everybody's draft boards, right? Um, so it doesn't really take too much away from him. Uh, but he did not get very many opportunities at, at all at Ohio State. So, and, you know, he he's... I don't know. Like, I don't think it's an issue. I, I do think that, uh, you know, if, if the Ohio State coaching staff, which has always had a phenomenal coaching staff, Brian Hartline, they're the wide receiver coach uh, who played, I don't know, 10, 15 seasons in the NFL, still thought that Wilson and Olav were better wide receivers and had them above him in the pecking order. Um, so maybe he, you know, is going to be wide receiver three to five in this draft class. Uh, but he's he's an exceptional talent, definitely worth, you know, a, a first round pick toward the end of the first round. Uh, no way he slips out of the second round. All right. Um, next guy I'm going to talk about is is Sky Moore from Western Michigan. Uh, just an extremely productive collegiate receiver with elite athleticism. And he's very, very versatile. He's a very quick player. You know, it's debated how fast he actually is. Some databases say he's in the low 4-3 range, and some people are talking about he's supposed to run you know, a high 4-2 come combine. Um, regardless of what his actual top speed is, he reaches it very, very quickly. He's very little wasted motion on his release, and with his acceleration, DBs just play him absolutely terrified of the possibility of being burnt deep. And Moore uses that to his advantage. He uses his stem to sell vertical 
and it forces DBs to abandon their technique and flip their hips prematurely, almost like right off the snap. Once he sees this, he has the the, the explosion to plant his foot in the ground, make that cut. He's just very, very quick in all aspects in his game. Quick in and out of breaks, super quick exploding off the line, and then you get the ball in his hands. He's also quick. Um, he's one of those guys that once he gets into the open field, you're going to have a very hard time trying to slow him down because he hits you with multiple jukes at once. I, I think the best word to describe him is is shifty. He has tremendous start and stop ability, and once he gets into gear, he's going from zero to 100 with a snap of the finger. He's very, very hard to take down to the turf once he reaches that open field. He's a very, I will call him a violent route runner. He's relentless and very fast footwork. And what I mean by that, he's just very abrupt with all his cuts. You, you scout some receivers, you notice some guys are a little more effective on breaking in routes or outbreaking routes or vice versa. More carries the same type of explosiveness in all directions. And it really leaves DBs guessing. They have no idea where this guy's going to go until it's too late. Um, I think the most impressive thing about Moore's route running is it's really natural to him. He's only been playing the position for three years. Um in high school, he was a quarterback and a defensive back where he was twice named conference player, offensive conference player of the year, once named defensive player of the year, and became the first player in conference history to rush and pass for a thousand yards in back-to-back seasons. So he, he's another versatile athlete. Then he switched to wideout once he got to Western Michigan. He's earned two first-team All-MAC selections, and last year he finished with 94 catches, 1,291 yards, and 10 touchdowns. The guy is also... I think, allergic to dropping footballs. I don't think he knows how. He was only credited with four drops all year on 125 total targets. Uh, Only had three in the first two years as a freshman and sophomore. Granted, the 2020 season was shortened with the pandemic, but he is a very reliable pass catcher. I think he has very, very strong hands. Um, And right now, they're talking about more as an under-the-radar type of prospect, looking at a late day-two pick. I really think it's because of where he played. In school, I don't think enough analysts have gotten to his tape yet. I really expect him to shoot up those draft boards here into those those top five receivers getting taken because he's just such an absolute superb athlete with top end speed, elite elusiveness, extremely violent and capable as a blocker as well. He seems to get as much enjoyment uh, from removing a DB from a play as he does hauling in 75 yard bombs, you know. His pass as a QB makes you wonder about the possibility of being able to throw him into this offense and execute some double passes. Um, And then he was also recruited as a DB to Western Michigan before he switched to receiver. So very versatile skill set. Obviously, probably carry some value on special teams as well. All right. I'll talk about Wandale Robinson, Kentucky, wide receiver, 5'11", 185 pounds. So this is an undersized cat. Uh, but, dude, is he fun to watch. Is that because he played at Kentucky? Undersized uh, he's undersized. Cat. He's 185 pounds. He's a small guy. He's, he's a small guy. But, uh, yeah, he's he's a small cat. He's a small Kentucky, Kentucky wildcat. <laughs> <laughs> so he started his playing career at Nebraska. And each of his first two seasons with the Cornhuskers, uh, he had at least 40 reception for 400 yards. But he wasn't only a weapon for them through the year. He was used as a running back pretty often as well. So as a freshman, he had 88 carries for 340 yards. As a sophomore, he had 46 carries for 240 yards. 
Uh, he also has some minimal experience as a, a, a returner. Uh, he was used more as a freshman as a returner and didn't really do any last season or the season before. But he ended up transferring over to Kentucky in 2021. Uh, he stated that he wanted to stay closer to home during the pandemic. Apparently, his mother had gotten COVID and, and it was an issue. He's from Kentucky, so he decided to stay at home. Uh, and he ended up playing under head coach Mark Stoops. Uh, he became a major, major asset for them, by the way. He exploded for 1,400 all-purpose yards, seven touchdowns, while catching over 100 passes in 13 games. He was a big, big part of their offense. Uh, he's built like a like a like a smaller Debo Samuel, and like a cross between uh, Tyreek Hill. Like you know, he's he's got some size, some bulk to him, but he is so so twitchy. So he's like a mixture between the two because Debo's a strong like running back type of player, which is kind of how this kid plays. But he is fast, like Tyreek Hill, like twitchy fast, right? Um. He's probably a good 20 to 30 pounds, like lighter than, than Debo is. Uh, he projects best as kind of like a slot receiver who can be utilized as a gadget back, you know, taking into rounds, screens, um, things of that nature. Uh, Sheath underwear makes the most comfortable boxer briefs I've ever worn. If you're sick of boxers that are too loose or briefs that are too tight, Sheath is for you. The most comfortable boxer briefs you'll ever put on your body. You see, their stretchy fabric is made out of a moisture-wicking technology. They're super soft, keep everything cool and comfortable, and right in place. Sheath is particularly useful for staying cool while working out. Now, the most unique thing about sheath underwear is that they have these dual pouches that keep your man parts separated, which prevents things from sticking together, keeps them right where they need to be. They'll be the most comfortable pair of boxer briefs you've ever won in your life. Plus, they have brand new materials like bamboo and mesh for even more cooling comfort. Go to sheathunderwear.com and get the most comfortable underwear you've ever worn. And if you use promo code IHEART, you'll also get 20% off your order. That's sheathunderwear.com. Promo code IHEART for 20% off your order. Sheathunderwear.com. Promo code IHEART. He's probably got more speed than Debo does because he's like, like I said, he's extra twitched up. Uh, he's a legit ankle breaker. He uses agility to create spe space for himself, which makes me think Tyreek Hill because you think with Tyreek Hill, the ball in his hands, like how he runs, like if you can envision kind of how Tyreek Hill runs where he's just like, you know, just su accelerate super fast and just kind of get at the end around. Uh, he's not taking any big hits or anything like that, but he's utilized like Debo with all of the screens, with all of the gadget plays with playing running back. Like that's kind of where I get the two kind of like combination between them. Um, he's super exciting to watch. I'm really excited to see what he does at the combine. I think he's going to end up winning the, the three cone drill, the shuttle drill, stuff like that. Um, he has this rare agility combination that teams really love. The issue when I look at Wandale Moore, and he he makes all the plays. He he plays big like Tyreek Hill coming down contested catches, which you don't typically see. Um, for every Tyreek Hill, Deshaun Jackson type of wide receiver, those small, twitchy, fast speed guys, you get a KJ Hambler, Andy Isabella type too, right? So you don't really ever know what you're going to get. Um, I, I think that Wandale gives me better vibes than than somebody like a KJ Hamler because I think that he's really good with the ball in his hands. Like he doesn't have any sort of injury his, history, and he's got that speed factor, and he's got that playmaking ability. Um, for a guy to to be able to have that running back ability 
mixed with that speed, twitchy wide receiver that, you know, KJ Hamler had, like he's a, he's really good with the ball in his hands. Uh, he's a, he's a legit rack threat. Uh, most scattering pours I've seen have had him in rounds four to five. I'm actually going to be a little bit higher on him. I think he's going to go kind of in the third round just based off of that super special twitchy ability that it's so rare and hard to find, especially when you take into account that he's like a running back as well. All right. I could see the comp. Um, I'm going to go next down my list with Jalen Tolbert from South Alabama, 6'3", 190. And I think, Look, this is like one of the guys that you go out and try to recreate when you're making Madden. Just the pull, the perfect combo of size, strength, and speed. He can run through smaller defenders and arm tackles, but he's also a guy who, if he knows he's faster than you, he's going to outbeat you in the track race. Um, on top of that, the dude has insane ball skills. He has the ability to make the OBJ-style catches with either hand, and he has 32-inch arms. Each one of his arms are 32 inches long. A very, very wide catch radius. He's like Spider-Man out there. You stack all of his athletic traits with his pos- position-specific traits, like good body positioning, elite ball tracking when the, the ball's in the air. You have yourselves a very, very versatile, acrobatic, dangerous deep threat. Really, I'm thinking built in the mold of, you know, the Malcolm Floyd and Vincent Jackson. Just throw it up there. They're going to go make amazing play. Uh, and his highlight tape looks like a circus act. The catches this guy makes, they are unreal. I You need to check him for stick em, Or I, I really think some of the plays he makes are, are unreal looking. And his ability, you know, just a pure deep threat, I think that's where he's going to have a lot of his success at the next level. Another reason I like the fit with the Chargers he really does offer some great rack potential that we're really just missing. Another, none of the other wideouts on our roster have that. I mentioned his strength, but he has sudden quickness to him that makes him really difficult to get your hands on. He's not getting hit very hard often, and that combo has led to him to being an absolute tackle-breaking machine in college. Um, now we know Tom Telesco loves his senior bowl standout, so it's worth mentioning Tolbert Bald out all week in mobile as a route runner he was easily able to create separation from his defender on plays where he didn't get the best release or didn't run the cleanest route he was aggressive to the ball he demonstrated great hand strength uh, and the ability to box out defenders in contested catch situations Um, he's a big play waiting to happen and Tolbert whatever team signs him is going to be very very happy Daniel Jeremiah was talking about to all the different NFL teams. And he said of all the prospects that were at the senior bowl, he thinks Tolbert has done the most to improve his draft stock. Um, I've seen him mocked as early as the 28th overall pick. Some sites see him going all the way in the third 17. I, I, I'll say is way too rich for the chargers to take him, but I really could see him sliding into day two. If we are in the position where we went to um, trade back and land some couple other picks in the second round, to land a guy like this with legit wide receiver one potential, to be able to bring him into your wide receiver room as a possible wide receiver three, wide receiver two at the very least, this would be a kind of guy that would you would enter into the room. Teams across the league would have to start considering the Bolts as one of the best receiving cores in the game with an addition like Tolbert. I'm going to talk about David Bell, Purdue wide receiver, 6'2", 210 pounds. 
he's another two sport athlete in high school. He won a state championship in both basketball and football. Uh, in football, he was the Indiana State Gatorade Player of the Year, uh, and he was Indiana's highest ranked recruit in, in 2019, <clears throat> 2018. He had offers from Notre Dame, Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, basically every major Big Ten school, yet he chose Purdue over all of those, stating that he kind of wanted to be um, a little closer to home. Uh, he had a highly, highly productive career for the Purdue Boilermakers as a freshman, 86 receptions, 1,000 yards, seven touchdowns. He was the Big Ten Freshman of the Year. The year before, Rondell Moore had that same type of freshman season. So I, I think we were really robbed from getting a, a dual season because we never had the two of them together. And that would have been a dangerous, dangerous offense, except for the fact that they didn't have a quarterback. Um, since he's been on this team, with the exception of last year, uh, he has had two different quarterbacks starting. One guy would play one half, another guy would play the other. Um, and it wasn't until somebody had actually separated him, himself this last season that uh, something had changed or adjusted. Um, like I said, as a freshman, 1,000 yards. As a sophomore, he only played in six games for the COVID-shortened season. He had 53 receptions for 625 yards and eight touchdowns in six games. In six games, eight touchdowns, that is that's ridiculous. A lot of football teams play anywhere between 12 and, and 13 games. If you end up making it into deep into the playoffs to have like a, a 15 to 20 touchdown season, like something around there is just round one type of talent. Um, last season, he ended up ending the, the, the year with 93 receptions, 1200 yards, six touchdowns. So he's still super, super productive. They finally got their quarterback situation straightened out. And he rewarded them. Uh, he, he's There's one game in particular that stands out for David Bell. Uh, when you look at Purdue playing the number two ranked Iowa State or Iowa football team in like week six or something like that, uh, he had 11 receptions for 240 yards. That is just insane. Um, I, I feel like he's not really a true speed guy, right? Uh he kind of projects best as an outside Z wide receiver. He does a lot of route, like he does enough as a, a route runner to produce. Uh, he's more of like a spacing wide receiver. He bends his routes into to, to the zones. Uh, he has the ability to throw in some double moves. He's not like a dynamic route runner in terms of agility. He's more of like a creative route runner, uh, thinking like kind of Keenan Allen. Keenan Allen is not the most agile guy. He understands how to, I guess, use uh, an opponent's leverage against them, right? Um, find their blind spots, um, you know, get them off balance, attack the things that that the DB is doing wrong. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes him really effective is it's, it's almost like an IQ type of thing, right? Like understanding the body language of the DB in front of you and understanding, you know, what is he trying to do? What do I need to do to kind of throw him off? You know, it's the whole mental game of being a wide receiver, DB, that matchup, right? Um, and he does a really, really good job of that. Like I said, nothing about him physically is super overwhelming, uh, other than the fact that he's got great body control. Um, he played most of his career with Purdue having two quarterbacks, and he was able to adjust to some really poorly placed balls. And he caught a handful of really bad, like, behind-the-back type of throws. I was like, wow, how did you come down with that? 
it's like super hard to be running in one specific direction. You're sprinting ball thrown behind you and you stick your arm out and you're able to still come down with that catch. Like that's such a, a hard thing to do. I don't think a lot of people really understand like how hard it is to reach back running full speed in, in the opposite direction and come down with the ball. Uh, but he's got that ability. He's got exceptional tracking the ball in the air, going for it deep. Like his ability to track and contort his body and and just lay out, I guess, to, to come down with some of these catches. Like that's such a hard thing to do. Um, I think David Bell is going to come off the board kind of in the back half of the second round to the third round. There's nothing about him physically or or – with his agility or speed, nothing he like, he doesn't have any special quality that is typically looked out in rounds one or two. Um, other than the fact that he's just like a really good receiver. He's a really smart, instinctual player. I mean, Keenan Allen was a third round pick partially because of the knee injury, but partially because like he didn't have any special talent that anybody looked at like years later, people go back and go, Oh, you know, Keenan Allen was this great, you know, route runner, but, Physically, like, you know, he was just kind of a, a subpar physical wide receiver. But I think that this guy has the mental makeup, the mental understanding of the game to really uh, surprise a lot of people. Uh, not a lot of people are talking about David Bell. He he gets forgotten to shuffle behind Rondell Moore for Purdue. And he, he had a better career at Purdue than Rondell Moore did. Rondell Moore came out as a second round pick and only played one really great season as a freshman and still managed to to get into that second round when he didn't play the next two seasons. David Bell had a much better career, was much more productive, and to be honest, is a lot safer bet than Rondell Moore was. Yeah. I just think like that's it's interesting though that we're getting that comp we're just we're getting this attention towards well lack of attention towards Bell. But I really think it's just Rondell Moore's game is more exciting and it's nothing against Bell. He just does the little things right. He, I, I like, or I like Bell's game. I think he is, he's going to creep up boards here. Um, Ooh, what's going on there? I hear sirens. It's, oh, that one's close. <laughs> Zach Alvarez uh, does not live in the safest area. Berkeley is not the, <laughs> that was, that sounds, uh, that sounds like an ambulance or a fire truck anyway. There's the, the comp that they gave him was Josh Palmer. And I don't like that comp at all. Uh, <laughs> I just don't see that as a comp for his play style. Yeah. Cause he's got some run after the catch ability. Uh, and he was, I mean, Josh Palmer was underutilized not only in college, but I kind of feel like Josh Palmer was misutilized last season. <clears throat> well, I, yeah, I, it, it really wasn't in towards like the second half of the year we even gave him any opportunities. Um, yeah, I just think he, I think it's one of those things where where are we going to get him involved? Uh, we just we had two receivers, especially at the beginning of the year. Keenan and Mike were on fire, and then towards the middle of the you know after the Ram, or Ravens game, they kind of both kind of got into a lull, and that's where we saw this emergence of Josh Palmer. But before then, there was really no. Like, where were you going to get him touches? He kind of got some towards the end of the year. Um, but I think, yeah, just because I think our, our other guys were just performing at a, a crazy productive rate that you couldn't, you couldn't just, you couldn't reasonably take any targets away from them. 
When I look at him, like I see more of a, a Cooper Cup, you know, coming out of the third round, like type of wide receiver. Now Cooper Cup came out and became this this baller, or like even Adam Thielen, right? Because I feel like Adam Thielen and Cooper Cup are really similar wide receivers. They're nothing that they do. Like they're not the fastest player. They're yeah. not the shiftiest, right? But they do the little things well. And I mean, Cooper Cup obviously just had this ridiculous, you know, two thousand yard season. And I'm not expecting, I don't want to put that expectation on David Bill, but I want to put the the style of player where you just do all the things right and you got a little bit of run after catchability, which isn't Cooper Cup's game. I know that he had this tremendous season doing it, but he got put in a lot of good situations there. Um, he, I feel like that's like the, the type of wide receiver this guy, kid is. Well, I, let, I'm just going to go on to my next guy because I think he's another guy who's getting slept on, and w- w- there's not a whole lot of star t- talent on the on the top. But I really think the one, the two through fifteen guys are going to all have solid careers. Um, and one of those guys I'm looking at is Kyle Phillips from UCLA, very quick-footed route runner, fluid movement, who just sells his routes at an elite level. Um, looking at this guy, I really think he's the most refined and nuanced route runner in this entire class. He creates separation just effortlessly. A lot of guys have to work for it. It's just so easy for him. It comes to him natural. Um, and it's apparent every time he comes off the ball, he's a very smart player who understands how to play off leverage. He uses extremely deceptive hand and body fakes to get open. Um, and with his route running acumen, He's obviously a nightmare against man coverage, but he's smart enough and capable against zone defense. He he has great awareness and natural feel to sniff out the weak spots and knows when to throttle down. Um, and that footwork translates seamlessly as a ball carrier. He has lots of moves that he could use. His stutter step is probably the most lethal, and it just cripples guys. Um, when Phillips pulls out that move, it's kind of like that scene in the Star Wars where they take down the AT&T walker. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Where it just kind of crumbles. That's what happens to defenders when they try to tackle him. He hits them with the stutter step. They just slowly crash to the turf, and all they can do is watch Phillips dance right by them into the end zone. He's very, very slippery. He's someone who doesn't take a lot of contact, um, and he makes people miss with quickness and his instincts. He makes plays at all three levels, but I really think he excels in the middle of the field. Similar to where I think Keenan does most of his most effective work. And before people want to hit me with, you know, we already have Keenan, a guy like Phillips would be redundant. Having two guys who can operate efficiently over the middle, that is something you want. And I'm just thinking about the possibility of having those guys run mesh concepts together where they both run shallow crosses from opposite directions. This is a simple, simple concept that is run multiple times over the course of a game, creates a natural pick of the defenders when they get crossed up. And if you can add a savvy route runner into this scenario like Phillips, you're turning a very simple route concept into big play potential. I, I just love that. It's also, it's He's also a very promising punt returner. Um, averaged 27.6 yards per return last season and owns a 21 yard per return average on his career. He, he fielded 26 punts. So that's, it's not a, you know, a small sample size at all. Um, he's built like a true slot receiver, you know, doesn't have that elite size, but he's someone who definitely should be around day two of the draft. And I wouldn't mind taking 
you know, a, a chance on a talented guy like Phillips. I think he's going to surprise a lot of people come April. What round do you think he'll go in? I think he'll, he honestly, I said end of day two. So I see him like third round. I think interesting. Be, I'll have yeah. to, I'll have to take a look at him. I've hear, been hearing he's been moving up a lot of draft boards and I'm really interested to, to see uh, some more film on him. He's fun. I mean, he's quick. He's like a little jackrabbit. Uh, his feet, he's a somebody else who I wouldn't want to live on top of me in an apartment complex. He is just happy feet. What is that? That's the movie happy feet. Like the yeah, tap dancing. Yeah. That's what he, he <laughs> if they did a live action um, movie of that, they should cast a uh, Kyle Phillips. <laughs> <laughs> the last letter receiver I'll talk about uh, on uh, Ontario Drummond. Uh, Ole Miss wide uh, wide receiver, 6'1", 217 pounds. Uh, he was Matt Corral's main target, main guy uh, while he was there. He was the only wide receiver who had any significant type of production while he was uh, at Ole Miss. Uh, he was a three-sport, at least this last season, he was a three-sport as- athlete. He played basketball, football, and baseball in high school. Uh, in high school, he had the fourth most receiving yards in the entire state of Mississippi. He had some minor interests from Mississippi State, Ole Miss, Southern Miss, but he didn't receive a single offer and was ranked as a two-star recruit. Uh, as such, he started his career at a community college uh, playing playing junior before transferring to, to Ole Miss. Uh, as a junior, as a true junior, when he did finally transfer to Ole Miss, he had 13 receptions, 188 yards, just wasn't utilized a whole much. Uh, in his senior season, his first senior season, this is going to be 2020, the, the COVID year, he had 25 receptions, 417 yards, seven touchdowns. So, you know, if you, you think about it, like, you know, a, a little less than a quarter of his total touches were touchdowns, which is kind of insane production. Um, but as the super season is when he got it figured out, 76 receptions, 1,000 yards, eight touchdowns. At Ole Miss, he kind of just sat behind Elijah Moore, who was like their main target. Like Elijah Moore was the guy over there at Ole Miss. He had opportunities to be uh, to become the consensus wide receiver too, uh, while he was playing with the Rebels. Um, but for whatever reason, and it's probably because he's he projects best as a slot receiver. That's kind of what his game is, and that's where Elijah Moore spent all of his time. So he he didn't have the opportunities as a slot receiver playing behind Elijah Moore because this guy does not play on the outside. He's got a little bit of size 6'1". You, you would expect him to be able to, to, you know, jump out a little bit, but that's just not his game. Um, he's a big body receiver. Like, he's he's got plenty of bulk. He's, he's only 6'1", but his frame is packed with size. I want you to think of, like, LaVisca Chenault. Like, think about his size. Just, just a big body, a big target. Not super tall, not too super lengthy, just strong, muscular, um, plenty of bulk on his frame. And he's a rack receiver. Like he did most of his work out of the slot and he ran a lot of different route combinations from there. Uh, he just needs to work on improving them. I love how he uses hands at the line of scrimmage. Uh, if you watch the one-on-one reps from the senior bowl, because he, he was a participant at the senior bowl, and you watch him get off of you know press coverage. Like he is slapping people out of the way. Like he is strong. He's a he's a fun guy to watch, kind of like LaVisca Chant was in college. Um, and I don't think I saw him lose a single rep. 
like at the senior bowl. And I, and I, I don't think that he really understands the route running concepts using the shoulder dips, using the head fakes. Um, but he understands for sure, like getting people off my frame. And he's very good at that. He is a good route runner, but he, he needs to take it to a next level by using a, a, a defender's momentum against them. And for him, it's all about just being quick, cut, you know, like he, he ran a lot of like bubble screens where you're, you're put plant, you know, you're, you're running into this U pattern here and you're catching it. And then you just plant your foot and you break uh, and things like that nature. Um, like he, he's a big double move guy. That's kind of what he does. Uh, but if you're not using your opponent's momentum against them, your, your route running isn't going to work. When a guy's sitting in a zone, he doesn't care that you're, you're running an out route by, by doing a, uh, you know, running inside, planting, turning back inside and like running, like it's not doing anything for a guy who's sitting in zone. Cause he's just waiting to see if anybody's running into his. So what he needs to learn how to do is eat up ground, right? Like if, uh, a big thing with wide receivers is you you want to be next to your DB so that when you cut, you leave the DB running and you're left by yourself. Like you need to be able to eat up space and you need to be able to force DBs into a decision. I'm either going to turn around and run or I'm going to sit and, and play, right? And when you're forcing DBs to make decisions is where you're going to find and create for yourself. And he's just going to run the route. Like it's, it's almost like cookie cutter in a way. And they're really good routes. They're really crisp. But if you're not selling anything, then nobody's going to buy anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's um, just like executing all of that, all of that without any type of plan. You're just doing it to do it. Yeah. And I think also a, a big part of his production, keep in mind that he's a fifth year senior. He's an older player. I feel like a lot of his production came because the Ole Miss offense, they, they ran a lot of RPOs. And Matt Corral, like, people were afraid of him taking off and running, right? So they got a lot of defenses to really sell on the read options. Go play the quarterback, right, or play the wide receiver. And it left him a lot of opportunities over the middle running slants, running, you know, these RPO options really helped his game, and, and it really schemed him open quite a bit from what I had seen. So I think that he is more of a project than a finished product. Um, I think that he's, he's a big physical runner. He's a, a really good run after the catch type of player. He's got a thick frame. I think he can take a pounding. I think that he could play running back. I would not be surprised if he was asked to work out as a running back at the combine. Um, I think that he, he he also has like really good hands. Like there's some times where he's plucking the ball out of the air and so fast, so quickly putting it back under his arm and getting ready to go. Um, I think that he's got a lot of good traits to be a really, really good wide receiver. Like he's got a lot of traits to be, and, and we talked about him earlier, Debo Samuel, like he's got some of those traits. Uh, he just needs to clean it up. And I think that because he's an unfinished product, I think he's going to go in the later rounds, probably five or six, somewhere around there. But I did see like this guy's has the potential to become that kind of that sleeper that, um, that, you know, explodes in, in two years and, and has a big, you know, 
seven, eight hundred yard season playing out of the slot like a like a Eddie Royal or something like that. Eddie Royal's a lot smaller, probably a bad example, but like as a slot, a big slot who can body guys and be used like Andre Roberts would probably because Andre Roberts is a big, thick frame and he's a physical runner. Um, you know, they're kind of built a little bit more similar. Um, I don't know. It, it, it's He's going to fall, and I think that he's got a lot of potential to outplay anywhere he's drafted at. Yeah, I could see that. I And honestly, I just really think with the COVID season, the, the fact that the NCAA allowed them to come back for another year if they want, I really think like for the next, this draft especially, but for the next two or so, we're going to be getting a lot of the, it's going to be more common to get those late round gems because people are going to be getting just worse and worse evaluations because they're going to throw that COVID year out. They're going, I, I just think we're going to have a lot of. It gives an extra year of development for a lot of these guys that are well, fifth year seniors. I, 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 I really think so. I think you're going to see a lot of longevity for the next three, four drafts or so in those middle rounds, just because you're having older players entering into those rookie contracts. I, I really see a lot of people for the, these next couple of drafts way outperforming uh, their draft capital. Cause I just think they're loaded with depth, not so much star talent. Yeah. Like I, I, I get it. I totally do. Uh, and there's some old players. There's some like 24 year old players and a lot of players are, are, collecting their next paycheck, you know, collecting their next contract at 24 years old. So yeah. there's a lot of older players are going to get opportunities that you didn't before, which is going to create and breed more competition. You know, these guys that, you know, fall out of football because they, they weren't able to make it fast enough. They get an, an extra opportunity and you're going to see a lot more competition because of it. It's a good place. It's a good place to be as a, you know, with a superstar core like the Chargers, we just need some depth pieces here and there to build. It would be really sucky to be a team without a franchise quarterback, without an identity. Um, I'm thinking like the Raiders. <laughs> I would suck to be kind of in limbo there. Not quite a playoff team, but not quite ready to start tanking and throw a rebuild. Those teams are going to be, I think, just stretch that, that not being competitive, but not being horrible to where they could throw in the towel for a lot longer than they're going to want to. All right, Zach, let's, uh, let's have our own little mini draft for the players that we're going to talk about next week. Uh, did you get a chance to pull up the offensive tackles, guards and centers? Oh no. I want you go ahead and pull that up. But what I'd like to do, what, how I would like to close this episode is I want to have oh, a I little see. mini offensive line draft. Uh, I'll pick six, you pick six. Um, I feel like mostly these are going to be offensive tackles. Um, but I don't think we need to go like deep into guards. Uh, I think that the guard class is much weaker. It's probably not quite as strong as, uh, in previous seasons. Um, and I, I think that there is a need for a guard for the chargers. I think that they're going to address it in free agency. So this is most likely going to be more tackles than any other position, knowing that we've got Corey Lindsley as a center, knowing that um, any center that we do draft probably isn't going to be uh, take any reps at all this season. Um, so let, let's go ahead and take a look at offensive tackles. I'll let you take the first pick, Zach. Who 
other than Evan Neal, because I don't feel like we need to cover <laughs> Evan Neal because he's going to be gone well before going we ever one. get an opportunity. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's see. I think I'm just going to go with maybe not the best prospect, but one I'm kind of familiar. I'm going to just take Trevor Penning because um, I'm familiar with the guy. I know he's going to be around. I don't see the fit per se, but I'd like to break down his tape because he just he's a mean guy. Um, I'd like to get into more of his tape just from seeing what I saw him uh, do in mobile. He's just a nasty, nasty guy that I'd like to take a deeper look at gotcha i'm gonna go ahead and i'll take uh i'll take charles cross charles cross there's a good chance that he's not going to be available at 17 but i mean i keep hearing his name all over the place by the way i haven't looked at any film on any offensive tackles other than darian Kennard. uh but i, I want to take charles cross because I, I keep hearing so many good things about this kid all right i guess going down the I'll take one, a name I've seen mocked to the Chargers there, but I'll take a look at Ohio State tackle Nick Petit Freer, I think is how you say it. Okay. I'll take uh I'll take Sean Ryan from UCLA. Sean Ryan. All right, moving down my li- oh no. My computer's freezing. Um, so I'll just read us some names. You've got Akeem Ikwanu, you've got Darian Kennard, you've got Abraham Lucas, Daniel Fiale, uh, Richard Walker at Penn State, and then for guards, you've got Kenyon Green, Zion Johnson at Ingram, uh, center Tyler Linderbaum, Alec Lindstrom. Um, I'm just going to keep with the behemoths, the right tackles, and take a look at Fa'alele is where we're going with out of Minnesota. That's it. I'm pretty sure how you pronounce it. Fa'alele, Daniel, 6'8", almost 400 pounds. Jesus. I'll take Darian Kennard. I I love Darian Kennard. I think he is probably one of my favorite prospects before I even had a chance to to – you know, I just saw a couple games of, of Kentucky, and I just fell in love with his play style. I saw him at the Senior Bowl. This dude is a stud. I'll take Kennard. All right. Um, I guess going down my list. I like I like a um, – add him to my list. Out of Washington again? State, 6'6", six, six, 3 uh, Abraham Lucas. Abraham Lucas. I'm going to move over to guard. I want to get Cade Mays. Uh, I've been hearing a lot of good things about Cade Mays. And I do know that we are looking to either re-sign our old guard or look for a new guard or draft a guard. We do definitely need at least a single guard. And Cade Mays is one that keeps jumping off. All right. Is that four for us? Uh, I think that's four each, so two more. We're going to. Um, hmm. Charles Cross. Yeah, I'm sorry. 
Oh, my computer's freezing on me. Let me I'm going to move over to my phone. I went on to the Pro Football Network. I went on to the Mock Draft Simulator, and I'm just looking at what they have there. Yeah, I just, I just want to look at... Let's see here. Okay, okay, okay. Let's see. I would say you should probably pick a guard because I do think there is a, a high probability that the Chargers... Did yeah. you? Who was your the guard that you just grabbed? I picked up Cade Mays, but the other other guys that are getting a lot of attention that I've been hearing is Ed Ingram from LSU, Zion Johnson from Boston College. There is a chance Kenyon Green, Texas A and M. He's he's the big uh, uh, offensive guard that everyone keeps talking about. That's going to be a a top ten selection. Okay, what about I? What about Ekum Aquanu? Ika Mukwanu, uh, he's a he's a big name, and I've seen him mock to the Chargers a couple times. I'll take I'll take a look at him. I'll take a look at him if if only to get you know pronounce his name a little better. All right, I'll take uh I'll take offensive guard Zion Johnson. Let's look in there, and I'll be done with guards. Um, yeah, I'll take Zion Johnson. Okay. See, I have a bunch of tackles. Before. I so I do feel like we need to pick either or Tyler Linderbaum or Alec Lindstrom. I know that they're centers, but there's a good chance that you can draft a center and have them play guard, and gives you that flexibility. And those two guys are both sitting in in the you know first to second round range where you would end up taking a guard if if you're the Chargers. So that's a, an area I would take a look at as well. Okay. Um, I guess I'll just if you're gonna, you know, make me. I guess I'll take a look at Linderbaum. He looks, he's he yeah he's he's someone I would like to get a better look at as well. All right, and then I'm split between Ed Ingram, Alec Lindstrom, or uh, Rasheed Walker out of Penn State because all three of those guys I've heard good things from. Uh, I'll go, let's go with the next big name, which is going to be Alec Lindstrom. So I'll take Alec Lindstrom. So my five, my six is going to be Charles Cross, Sean Ryan, Darren Kennard, Cade Mays, Zion Johnson, Alec Lindstrom. Okay. And you've got Akeem Ikwanu, Trevor Penning, Nicholas Petit Freer, uh, Abraham Lucas, Daniel Fayale. There it is. That was the other one. And yeah. you and picked Linderbaum. up Tyler Linderbaum. So you've got most of the guards. I've got, uh, what, three interior offensive linemen. So this should be a good next episode, and I feel like it'll uh, give us a good opening to the offensive line. Uh, any big names that we could potentially see the Chargers draft in the next earliest three rounds, right? We got to be taking at least one offensive lineman there. And it's sometime soon we're going to be getting our franchise tag news. Any any week now we'll be hearing it. Um, it's going to so happen. It, There's I no way Mike Williams does not get tagged. It. I, I yeah. I, I can't see. 
Well, I'm going to be upset if it doesn't happen. I think that's the best way to make us the most competitive today. This so, like, just up. closing on this episode, there is zero chance Mike Williams leaves. I, 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 I don't think anybody really understands, like, Mike Williams wants to be here. The yeah. Chargers want him to be here. They're only going to set up the franchise tag to negotiate the deal. That deal, I fully expect. I, I would be very surprised if Mike Williams played on his franchise tag, knowing that he just played on his fifth-year option, knowing that he doesn't want to leave, knowing that the Chargers want to pay people their worth. There is zero, zero chance that Mike Williams plays on that franchise tag. I it's love not it. in I... his best interest. It's not in the Chargers' best interest. He wants that that the long-term deal. He wants the Chargers to have the money to go and sign other good players in free agency. There is no chance that Mike Williams leaves the Chargers. Zero. I I agree. Um, I I agree. And I don't even want to talk about the possibility of it not happening because, yeah, it, it would make me so upset for it to happen. And I, I think I agree with you. I, I just think there's too – it just makes too much sense for him to come back on all sides. It's a bad move personally. How are you not going to cash in after your career year? Nobody knows what's ahead of you. There's there's a point to when you need I love betting on players taking a bet on themselves, but at one point you need to cash in. This is your time, Mike Williams. Yeah, Get paid. And he he earned it. Like he earned he his paycheck, right? And I feel like Tom Telesco's always been very good about playing paying players their worth. He's never overpaid for anybody. He's never under, well, he's underpaid, right? We call it talking about coupon Tom, but he's never <laughs> offered a contract to a player to be like, hey, that wasn't even reasonable, right? Like, yeah, he offers, he pays people their worth. So, and, and what we're saying, he is never going to be somebody to sign a record breaking deal, right? Uh, with this, even well, with Joey Bosa. <laughs> was that a record? That's surprising. Joey That's Bosa surprising. is the highest paid defensive player in the NFL right now. Is okay. Well, but and I'm, that's Joey Bosa. Did he not deserve that? Like, yeah. Well, and then th- how, how many times? I guess it was just the one extension. Um, either way, that just that just so uncharacteristic. Corey Lindsley is also him. the highest paid center in the NFL. Okay, so maybe all right. I have to eat it because, and I'm hoping <laughs> that we make. I'm hoping that we make uh, Derwin the highest paid safety because. Um, and that's probably too. going to happen too. But you know what? When you look at the salary cap being more than it's ever been in the history of the NFL, it's not necessarily a bad thing. I've always been. I know this episode's running long, but I've always been in the camp that. Um, I well, it's more of like a theory than anything. I feel like paying record-setting deals isn't necessarily what you want. Like, you don't want to pay the best player the most amount of money. You want the guy that's just under that, right? Because the production between the best player and the fifth best player isn't that much, but the salary between the best player and the fifth best player is astronomically different. You're talking... And there's like, there's irregularities there, right? But you look at a wide receiver from Green Bay Packers. What's his name? Not Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams, right? Like Devontae Adams is going to sign a $27 million a year contract. Like he is going to get paid so much money. And you're paying Keenan Allen $20 million a year. You're telling me that he, that, that, 
the difference in those two players is is seven million dollars. Like that's a lot. You can't of money. tell me. You can't tell me that Joey Bosa, who's making, I want to say twenty five million or twenty four million this year, is that much better than uh, the the fifth next best pass rusher. Like it's not. That's not realistic. That's not. But then when you look at the fact that the salary cap increases every year, and something I didn't take into account that contract turns into a deal for the team that signed it because eventually, yeah. you know, they're the, the next highest page edge rusher is going to be making $35 million a year in, in three years from now. And then, you know, Joey Bosa is, you know, the, the a top three pass rusher getting paid top eight salary. So like it evens out in the long run. Right. Well, and I know this also... episode's getting long, so yeah. I'm going to go can... ahead and... Sheath underwear makes the most comfortable boxer briefs I've ever worn. If you're sick of boxers that are too loose or briefs that are too tight, Sheath is for you. The most comfortable boxer briefs you'll ever put on your body. You see, their stretchy fabric is made out of a moisture-wicking technology. They're super soft, keep everything cool and comfortable, and right in place. Sheath is particularly useful for staying cool while working out. Now, the most unique thing about sheath underwear is that they have these dual pouches that keep your man parts separated, which prevents things from sticking together, keeps them right where they need to be. They'll be the most comfortable pair of boxer briefs you've ever won in your life. Plus, they have brand new materials like bamboo and mesh for even more cooling comfort. Go to sheathunderwear.com and get the most comfortable underwear you've ever worn. And if you use promo code IHEART, you'll also get 20% off your order. That's sheathunderwear.com. Promo code IHEART for 20% off your order. Sheathunderwear.com. Promo code IHEART. Sheath underwear makes the most comfortable boxer briefs I've ever worn. If you're sick of boxers that are too loose or briefs that are too tight, Sheath is for you. The most comfortable boxer briefs you'll ever put on your body. You see, their stretchy fabric is made out of a moisture-wicking technology. They're super soft, keep everything cool and comfortable, and right in place. Sheath is particularly useful for staying cool while working out. Now, the most unique thing about sheath underwear is that they have these dual pouches that keep your man parts separated, which prevents things from sticking together, keeps them right where they need to be. They'll be the most comfortable pair of boxer briefs you've ever won in your life. Plus, they have brand new materials like bamboo and mesh for even more cooling comfort. Go to sheathunderwear.com and get the most comfortable underwear you've ever worn. And if you use promo code IHEART, you'll also get 20% off your order. That's sheathunderwear.com. Promo code IHEART for 20% off your order. Sheathunderwear.com. Promo code IHEART. Cut this out. Because <laughs> I had another 10-minute rant that I can get into, but we'll say that next week. We'll get into it next week. <laughs> um, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, over and out.